and welcome back to the Comics Deserve Better podcast, where we cover the world of independent comics. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Brian, and with me also, as always, the other two parts of the CDB crew, Carrie and Darcy. Hi. Hello. Hope you guys are doing okay on this lovely evening. Yes. Better than before. <laughs> It took That's me a good. second to yes. think, am I doing well on this lovely evening? And I have to say, yeah, I am. You know what, though? It's good that, that you had you thought about it, because sometimes, you know, it's like, I will say, I'm doing good, and I'm being really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like, I don't like it. Like, if you go to a store and you ask someone how they're doing, I think just the way the world is, sometimes they're worried about giving you a truthful answer because they think it's fake. Like when I ask somebody how they're doing, I actually sincerely mean it. So very nice, thanks. All right, well, we have a good show today. We actually have an interview as our main part of our show with uh, Jeremy Holt. They were very awesome to join us and uh, talk to us a little bit earlier. So we'll get on with the regular show. Uh, As always, we'll start with the news. Hope you all want me. I'm unprepared for some reason today. <laughs> like you just faded out like you were recording a song. And here's Freebird. Okay. Um, all right. So first, uh, first things first. Um, there's actually going to be a new um, Indigenous story anthology on Kickstarter. This is the third in the series. Um, the first two, uh, first one was, I believe, in Oceania area, and the second one was in Africa. This is going to be in North America. And it's the first time I've heard of this series, and I definitely want to pick up the other two. But uh, this one is um, is currently being kickstart started kickstarted. I guess that's the right word. Kickstarted, um, sure. And yep, and um, and so there's a there's about nine more days to go as a recording, and so that probably around a week when you hear this episode, um, we'll have the link in the uh, in the notes to, to check it out. Um, it's basically uh, it's called as it was told to me is the um, the name of the series and the book itself is the woman in the woods and other north american stories uh they're basically about they're based on north american folk tales um from according to the uh, kickstarter from the thrilling tale of of chakfi the trickster rabbit i apologize for the pronunciation there and to the stirring story of the white horse plains as told by indigenous creators I think there's a few more than that. Um, if yes, you if you buy the full bundle, uh, which is um, uh, I can't remember how many dollars, uh, you can get all of all of them in PDF form for I think thirty five dollars. It's North America, Africa, Asia, Oceania, and Europe. Nice. Um, so I think there's five. There's right five. Now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think there's five. The article I found had three, but that could easily be. An, an yeah, I think article. I think that might be old, or maybe yeah. uh, un unformed, or maybe this is like they're doing a couple at once or something. Uh, but I know what I was looking at when I was looking at what I was ordering. Um, uh, 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 there, there was a whole bundle, and I know Africa and and um, Oceania and Asia were like ones that I was I was really interested in. Um, so I I know that um, there's definitely more than the ones you listed. So on the Kickstarter, I I just scrolled down. Um, there's volume one is the girl who married a skull and other African stories. Mm. Volume two is uh, Tamamo. Uh, 
excuse me, Tamamo the Fox Maiden and other Asian stories. Uh, the, volume three is the Nixie of the Mill Pond and other European stories. Uh, volume four is the Night Marchers and other Oceanian tales. And this is volume five. So yeah, you're right. So I awesome. either misread or read the bad article. <laughs> so that is, all, but yeah, definitely. Um, it looks like you can um, get this in a bundle if you do um, if you do a, a higher tier on the Kickstarter. Um, but yeah, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, if, if you do it digitally, that's, thir- I, th- I think it's 35. I think it's like $35 for five volumes of, 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 of comics. That's a lot of stuff. So yeah, that's not bad. And that's a huge box of diversity as well, like when it comes to stories and types yeah. of stories and stuff. So that's Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, well, next piece, is, next story. Um, actually, it's very cool because I'm, um, even though I know they're not they're not a friend of the show, but I feel like they are because we talk about them all the time. All the time. Uh, um, Shingen Core was nominated for an Ignatz um, Award for a short story that they wrote called I Do Not Want to Write by Shingen Core. But yeah, Obviously. I Do Not Want to Write is the is the name of the uh, of the story. Um, it, it's you know, if you're familiar with their work, it's it's amazing looking and it's a, it's a nice, cute, quirky, fun story. So, yeah, it's very emotional, very um, kind of speaks out to like, uh, I, I don't want to call it like anti Shingen Core, but it's kind of that concept of uh, Shingen Core is kind of known for a lot of things. And they're kind of saying, um, I don't want to necessarily write about identity all the time. I want to write about all the stuff that white girls get to write about kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, my favorite panel is it is that I want to write about caterpillars. I don't really know anything about caterpillars, but white girls get to write about shit they don't know about all the time <laughs> anyway. And that's fine. Right. Uh, and that kind of really struck me. It's like, yeah, like just fucking all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's a really good uh, like editorial comic. Is it in the nib? It might be in the nib. Like most of Shane and Core stuff it, is in the nib. This so. one was in Catapult magazine. Ah, okay. And but um, yeah, and excellent panel usage as mm-hmm. always. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's very uh, good. I'm very glad that they're getting recognized. They definitely deserve it. Absolutely. So. If you have the ability to vote for Ignatz Awards, I'm not sure what the criteria is, but please uh, take a look and yeah. vote. And, and even if you don't, uh, we'll have the, the link uh, to the actual comic in the show notes as well. So that's the second thing to check out uh, after the show or during Absolutely. the show, depending Absolutely. on where. If you're, if you're driving while listening, don't check it out yet. Try <laughs> not to. Yeah. Wait till you get home <laughs> or somewhere safe. All right. So, all right. Now, uh, last up, and actually I'm going to pass the torch over here to, to Darcy. Um, and it's kind of a preview for next week's discussion, but uh, it's about uh, a, a certain gatekeeping issue that has come up on Twitter. Yeah, this kind of flows through from uh, news we had like a couple of weeks ago based on DC's uh, partnership with Webtoon. Uh, somebody, I'm not entirely sure whom, uh, wrote a... Uh, article uh based on that concept um and christian hoffer at c hoffer c bus uh tweeted uh 
like two images from it and kind of left off the byline and the title so I don't really know where it's from or what it is. Uh, but it, the article was basically uh, just talking shit about webtoon and tapas and saying that people who uh, write for webtoon and tapas are like amateur comic what? creators mm -hmm. yes uh, basically the concept being that if you are not being published traditionally you are not a traditionally professional comic creator oh. um, that people uh that if the majority of your clicks are from women under the age of 25 oh you can bring new fans to the market you're filling in gaps uh, like the people who are going to dc's kids oriented animation kind of stuff but you're not real fans you're not real comic what? book readers yeah it was real straight up garbage uh mm -hmm. but I, I just wanted to say this and I've retweeted it and made comments on our Twitter. Uh, Jen Bartell retweeted it and said it much better than I did because uh, Jen Bartell's, you know, Jen Bartell. She, Jen Bartell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but the concept being that this is the sort of thing we talk about constantly on here, uh, that these people are professional comic book creators. They mm -hmm. are, they write comics, they sell comics, they are professional comic book creators, whether they're traditionally published or published online. Uh, the fact that this person's talking shit about them is very telling uh, because this is the way a lot of uh, minority voices are being told. Uh, uh, Jim Bartell specifically said that a lot of these comics, or uh, maybe not a lot of them, but some of them are getting like, they have 5 million subscribers. Um, mm -hmm. That's way more impressive than anything <laughs> that uh, Marvel or DC is seeing right now in sales. So, you know, like throw some shade, but um, there's access and there's a lot of, I have in my life more than once talked shit about Twilight, but uh, that doesn't mean people shouldn't be allowed to like Twilight, right? Mm -hmm. There is a general hate in the world against YA and things that teen girls like, and this is just another segment of that. This is a thing we've talked about many times in our roundtables. It's a thing that's come up, but I wanted it to mention it in the news because we don't have a roundtable today. We've got our interview, and because it does connect to the news uh, from yeah. last week or the week before with the uh, the article itself is about the DC webtoon partnership partnership so yeah so yeah. like I love YA I fuck like with YA <laughs> yeah I like I am forever a 15 year old kid so fucking fight me if you don't like that shit because it's good and it's entertaining and it's fun and I can't stand it when people shit on stuff like that. I was having an existential crisis this afternoon when you guys were talking about this. So I didn't go through the entire chat. I'm like shocked. Yeah. And it was especially, if there was somebody in Jim Bartell's thread that was hilarious to me I can't remember who said it I'm looking for it right now and I can't find it but somebody said this is you know like kind of ironic or really fucking hilarious that this person who's saying this is writing it on 
you know, like an online uh, reporting mechanism. Yeah. So they're like a non-traditional reporter. <laughs> exactly. It, absolutely. And it's like this stupid archaic belief <laughs> that anything technological is is not real, essentially. That, you know, going, uh, anything progressive and like going forward. It's, it's and, such an asshole, yeah. like elitist mentality. Absolutely. And it's, it's that is the, that is the attitude that keeps so many people from enjoying anything is when you have an asshole like that who will say those types of things because oh you know what and I get it I love a paperback book I have a very hard time with digital but you don't I understand so there's part of me that I get the traditionalist elitist like take on it but for you to go online and rant about it, how sad is your life? It's, that that's that you're you're taking you're shitting on someone's joy and on someone's professional work. Like fuck you. Just because you know, like I don't know. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean that yeah. it's bad. And it's just it's a stupid mentality that a lot of people have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to yeah. finish it out so we don't spend too long on yeah. it and make <laughs> it a round table. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank no, 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 no. I'm just trying to, you know, like keep it keep it short. Um, but Webtoon tweeted their own. Uh, and so Webtoon's Twitter is at Webtoon Official. Uh, they tweeted a quote unquote substandard and fan created content and laughed about it and uh, said drop your favorite series your favorite quote unquote substandard series below <laughs> and so people awesome. are just like listing their favorite uh quote unquote substandard uh fan created you know series uh under the uh hashtag substandard fan created content uh so you know if you're looking for something new to read people are kind of like dropping stuff right now so uh and That's right awesome. now would be wednesday today yeah so. we're, we're recording well, late this yeah. episode yeah so you know it's one day before you're probably listening if you listen to it on the day it comes out um but yeah so i mean you know i had a point i don't know what Sorry. it was <laughs> no it's, it's all good <laughs> i'm not surprised right um that i lost my point um no um God damn it <laughs> okay okay moving on i guess we'll come back. well you know what to be continued you know if you want to hear right, what right. that point was yeah and, Ooh. you know what well, stay tuned next week um we're, we're gonna have I'll, hopefully i'll remember and write it down or i'll forget it like four times and oh. then and hopefully write it down so yeah um check out next week we'll talk more about this and hopefully i'll be able to complete my thought by then there so we I'm go not, spending two hours recording <laughs> trying to figure out what I was going to say exactly um all right so we're gonna go ahead and move on to the uh quick hits or the uh spotlights section as we call it now um since Darcy you just spoke Carrie do you want to go or do you want me to go I want to go god damn it okay okay so I chose actually yeah so Cho whoa okay sorry Ring it in, bring it in, rain it in. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, today <laughs> was tough, you guys. Okay. Oh, thanks, Brian. Um, no, I remember the name of it. So I read Save Yourself, uh, issues one through three by Bones, Leopard, Kelly, and Nicole Matthews and Jim Campbell. It is about um, a younger 
person named Gigi. Uh, she is dealing with the loss of her brother. Uh, she lives with her uh, brother's widow in an apartment. I'm sorry, widower. Um, and they live in an... Oh it's, San, it's like a San Francisco in a lot almost. Yeah, so it's like a big city, but like there is a cosmic group, like a trio that everyone loves and they're like space aliens, but they're like... Um, like social media icons slash um like like let's like 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 equivalent of like a famous like tiktoker sort of thing and they fight monsters it was kind of confusing but they're like real they're like real they're real people and they're they're these real entities but they've got like a shit ton of merch so everybody's like in love with them right and apparently it turns out that the trio's actually an evil alien race and no one knows it but Gigi and her late brothers husband figure it out and there is a like whole slew of fun characters um Gigi ends up falling for Mia who is um a shape-shifting monster and Mia ends up kind of liking there's a little bit of sexual tension between them um it's super fun the artwork is really good the colors are fantastic um the storyline is i'm not i'm not doing it any justice so i really apologize because i'm not saying it well but um the it's fun and it's got enough to it's got enough twists and turns to keep you reading but it's it just touches on the serious adult shit like death and like realizing that you know life isn't what it like what you think it is it touches on that enough to where it grounds you but it's also very light and I like light so um it's a really fun series so far and issue four comes out next month yeah it comes out I think later this month later so yeah we're in September now so yeah it'll come out later this month but yeah it's just it's super fun and there's one panel in the third issue where Gigi has to help with the alien invasion and Gigi's a bigger girl and she busts out her roller skates and I was like oh chubby chubby roller skate girls like I love that so I was super happy but yeah anything with roller skates is awesome yeah yes. <laughs> I love and it made me wish that I still had my skates because like, absolutely oh, I love skating so much I was really good Same. at it yeah the, the- it's really fun they look like they use the image as well for the third issue so maybe that'll be a good uh picture to use for when we talk about our recommendations this week yeah it's, it's super fun it's, so a, it's it. a fun little picture but yeah no i've i've read the the series too i i really enjoy it. it's a cool take on like magical girls and stuff so but yeah no, it's pretty awesome okay well darcy do you want to go last or do you want me to go or last do you want to go next i'll go last <laughs> Okay, I'll go next then. And so um, I actually picked a boom book as well this week. Uh, it is called Dark Blood. Uh, the first two issues of Dark Blood 
are out right now. Um, it is uh, by Latoya Morgan, Walt Barna, AHG, and Andworld Design. Uh, this is the story of a black man, Avery Aldridge, in 1950s Alabama, walking home from his job at a diner. He's followed out by a white customer who chases him down into an alleyway, confronts Avery, and um, because he thinks that Avery has somehow slighted him in some way, and he's got to learn his place in quotation marks. So he pulls a gun on Avery. So Avery does his best to try to peacefully uh, get out of the situation, but the white guy is very much will not subsist. So after last warning by Avery, he's forced to defend himself and he starts exhibiting telekinetic powers. So this causes the white man to run out into traffic and get hit by a car. Um, so that all, while this is going on, there's flashbacks to 10 years prior uh, when Avery was serving in the army as a pilot during World War II. And the story that's going on there is that his plane gets shot down and he is uh, um, in a parachute, but he's in the middle of a dogfight between multiple other planes. So he's basically a sitting duck in the middle of the air while planes are flying around him shooting. So not a, a great situation. Um, so it doesn't show how he survives the, the, uh, that situation, but um, you find out that he sustained a severe back injury um, during the his time for fighting, I'm assuming during that particular dogfight. Um, so um, you're also seeing another flashback a little bit later in the series and issue in issue two, that he's approached by a white doctor who seems very concerned about Avery's pain and he offers him treatment. So Avery decides to go along with this, but however, it seems that this doctor doesn't have the most altruistic uh, intentions and it becomes more like the Tuskegee experiments than anything else. Mm -hmm. And so the doctor is, you know, it seems like he's testing something on Avery that's not approved by, well, the FD didn't exist then, but something to that extent. And so this is probably what leads to his telekinesis powers as aforementioned, but it hasn't got to that part yet. But um, yeah, really good story, has a, a, lots of messages to tell. I mean, it's, uh, it's really dealing with like a lot of important topics that are brushed over like in modern education, you know, like, you know, like racism in the South or racism in the United States period during like the 50s the veterans especially like black veterans coming home from war and not treated the way like white veterans were treated you know like and and having to basically fend themselves i mean he's he's like a short order cook because that's all he can get even though he's he fought for his country and and but so there's a lot of commentary on that as well as um the art is great um the what i mentioned the world war ii flashbacks that is done in coloring style and like a page construction style that's very reminiscent to like golden age comics it it has an old feel to it it's the same artist but it's like it has an old feel to it on those parts and it has like a modern kind of contemporary feel for the parts that happened in the 50s so it's it does it a really good job kind of uh you know showing the different situations that's going on and like and, and separating it because i know flashbacks can get kind of confusing so they they do a really good job keeping it all in place but yeah definitely it's two issues out 
third issue comes out this month. Um, actually, I think it might come out first week next month. Um, but I definitely recommend checking it out because it's well written. It's art's great, and it has a great message that everyone should listen and read. Sounds awesome. interesting. Okay, so Darcy, do you want to uh, wrap this up? Yeah, uh, I uh, am spotlighting legaliz uh, Legalization Nation, The Dispensary Divide by Box Brown, uh, which was an editorial comic on the nib this week. Um, it uh, is basically just talking about um, uh, the issues with um, legalization and uh, the problems with uh legal pot uh, specifically in Pennsylvania uh, but that are not limited to Pennsylvania um it this is an issue if you um uh, he's talking about medical mar marijuana specifically but if you are kind of part of um I, I do not um smoke pot I kind of never have I'm one of those like really stupid people um, even 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 though I have epilepsy like and I have been a huge advocate for pushing medical marijuana mm -hmm. like I really really believe it's something that should be I, I believe recreational marijuana should be legal I believe it mm -hmm. all should be fucking legal but um I'm also like my dad's really really like laws 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 and I'm <laughs> a coward so like I've always followed my dad's rules uh so like I've never smoked anything. Um, but regardless of that, ignore me. Um, there's been a real issue with if you watch any documentary about uh, legal pot, like it's white people, white people, white people, white yep. people, mm -hmm. because the only people who could get loans from banks to start these legal marijuana businesses were fucking like white hipsters mm -hmm. who had been buying this pot from uh, people of color generally, because people of color were uh, quote unquote criminals getting arrested for pot right mm -hmm. so like there's this huge divide between who used to be in the business of marijuana and who's currently in the business of marijuana so marijuana is getting more and more expensive and more and more white and you still have um, people of color going to prison for it and mm -hmm. so where it used to be cheap and people who you know perhaps had epilepsy were using for their epilepsy uh, it's getting harder for people with epilepsy to even grow for themselves so like you know, people who used to grow for themselves for their epilepsy really can't do that anymore because that's illegal. Maybe they are now, but it's like, oh, well, why are you doing that? Because there's a legal pathway for medical uh, marijuana. Um, uh, people who um, should be let out of prison uh, because fucking marijuana is legal in so many places now are still being put in prison, even mm -hmm. where it is legal because mm -hmm. they're not doing it through legal pathways, like shit like that. Uh, that's what this comic's all about. Like, it's just a really good comic. Um, epilepsy is the only thing there's really that's it's talked about here. And I'm, I'm not sure if that's because Box Brown has epilepsy. He, I, I don't think he mentioned what exactly he had. Um, but like I said, he talks about it specifically from the um, Pen uh, Pennsylvania mindset because that's where he is. But at the very end, you know, he's like, and this is occurring in all states. And it's like, yes, this is everywhere. This is yeah. a nationwide problem. And Absolutely. this is because, you know, like, 
like big pharma's taking the shit over as it does everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's something to be aware of if, if your state is going through um, a, a legalization process uh, to kind of watch what's going on, maybe watch where you buy, uh, who you support, you know, like support local business as opposed to somebody who's branching out, maybe support black businesses if that's yes. a thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, and if there's uh, some movement to, also get people out of jail that went in for pot uh yeah do that too support that um because people shouldn't be in prison for marijuana anywhere right now that's bullshit i think right now in california currently there's fifty thousand incarcerated yes there are and um, medical marijuana has been legal for years there now. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, just, and we'll throw this up on the website or whatever. Uh, the last prisoner project is um, something here in California that they're working on to get the um, incarcerated black men who've been there for nonviolent weed offenses mm. out. Mm. Um, there's also, if you're in California, I've like extensively looked into it because I believe in the powers of recreational me- medical marijuana. Absolutely. Um, I like weed. I don't smoke it currently. I can't wait for the day that I don't have to worry about driving to my job so I can because um, I think it would help very much with my uh, insomnia, my anxiety, and my fibromyalgia. So I'm all for it. Um, and my mom's a nurse and she believes in the power of medicinal marijuana. Um, we believe in edibles and all sorts of things like that. So if you're in California, you could actually grow uh, recreationally and not get busted um, three plants. But if you're licensed as a medical marijuana user, you could have like up to seven. Cool. So you can grow in California. I wish I knew more about other states, but there is a little bit of leeway here. And especially if you live in like a non-metropolitan area like we do, you can kind of get away with it. Like yeah, we have neighbors Pencil- who grow and stuff. So in Pennsylvania, apparently farmers can't grow pot on land zoned for agriculture. Ah, so it's yeah. like, I, I guess they've got to import it from out of state or something. I don't know. It's oh, ridiculous. Dear. And there's only a few um, dispensaries that are allowed. Like small businesses can't just open. Like it's ridiculous. And they're probably exporting that. Uh, they're probably going to start exporting that system outside of the state. It's probably going to be back done outside of where it's like, you know, like Monsanto seeds, right? Like they're not going to let us grow our own shit. They're not going to let us make our own medicine, you know, like big pharma is not going to allow that shit. Why is weed illegal? That's yeah. I got more fucked up on a bottle of Pinot Grigio the other week. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? Like, and that's something <laughs> that you can buy anywhere. Like, I just yeah. don't understand. You know, like, I don't know. It, I don't know. Something that does have medical benefits. I don't get it. <sighs> racism, I think, wasn't it? Racism. That, I'm yeah, pretty sure that, it had something to do with racism. Yeah, the, the, I was going to say the demographic of, of drinkers is is widespread among white people, and and marijuana might be there might be a lot of white people who smoke marijuana, but it's pro- predominantly a, a you know a minority thing. So yeah, it yeah. was it was a religious thing. The religious people cut mm-hmm. it off, and also a racism thing. It was who because yeah. you know it's also opium. You know they cut off opium because Chinese people. Mm-hmm. So. Stupid. so yeah. yeah. Uh, 
No, I'm completely talking out of my ass here, but I'm just wondering out loud. So we we obviously had the prohibition in the 1920s. Yeah. How long did it take to get rum runners out of prison once it became legal again? I have no clue. And I, I, I wonder, I, you don't hear about that? So it they, makes me wonder. They, yeah. A lot of them didn't just go. I mean, maybe a lot of them did go into rum for rum running, but a lot of them were also involved with like the mafia and shit. That's true. But yeah, I mean, but if, there, if that was the only charge that they had on their record, I true. wonder how fast. And, you know, and that's what it kind of boils down to as well, because. Yeah. You know, because yeah, there there's people in there that in in prison right now that might have a, a possession charge, but they also have, yeah, you know, some some kind of crime, as well. But yeah, there's a lot of people in in prison now that just have possession or or distribute, you know, to distribute marijuana, yeah. and yeah, it's legal now, so yeah, it is. It doesn't make sense, Absolutely. but okay. Oh yeah. Anyway, it's a good editorial comic um in that it's there to make you know it's educational it's informative and it can make you angry and want to get involved in shit so it's it's great it does its job uh it's very colorful art's very good um uh i I really like it's a good example of you know shit on the nibs so i liked it i like and i like box brown as a creator um there's a few there's a andre the giant uh book that he wrote that i want to read and he also wrote a book on tetris which is like one of my all-time favorite <laughs> video that, games is that fox brown yeah the tetris the games we play i think or people yeah the games people play yeah huh. that was box brown that and um, i've not read it I, either but i've seen the i've seen a cover yeah like it looks really cool and yeah, i definitely need to check that out there's actually it looks like he he actually wrote a uh a book uh called cannabis the illegalization of weed in america in 2019 so the wow. probably is continuation of of this conversation as well so probably definitely check it out okay. um we'll have a we'll have a link uh for the for both um the uh the last prisoner project as well as the actual comic itself um on the show notes as well so there's gonna be a lot of things to click on you're making <laughs> a lot of work for yourself in yeah, a I am. very small amount of time a very small amount of time because i will be editing tonight before we put it out <laughs> tomorrow so uh, i'm a glutton of pain or something masochist there we go there we go okay well so we are going to go ahead and jump into our interview. Um, so I'm going to put it in now. Well, we are here now for our interview portion of the show. And we have uh, Jeremy Holt with us, a uh, writer of Made in Korea and Virtually Yours and a few other books. Um, Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Okay. Well, uh, one question we'd like to ask everyone that comes on. Uh, what is your comic book origin, both both when it comes to reading comics as well as writing? Uh, let's see. I did not grow up reading comics. My oldest brother was actually a huge collector. And it wasn't until I was probably in my late, mid, mid to late 20s, when I was hanging out with him and he and I decided to go to a coffee shop to just read some comics. And this is in 2008. And uh, he had me read Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. And I was 
quite blown away. I was like, what is this? Is this where comic books are? And he said, that book's like 20 years old. <laughs> so then I went to my local comic book shop in Union Square in New York. And mm -hmm. I was just like, what are people reading? And then I was introduced to all of DC Vertigo's comics. And it wasn't until I read uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra's Why the Last Man that I was like, I have to read my life. Excellent choice. And Vertigo is a great place to start. <laughs> That's an excellent place to start. Is, uh, all right. Very cool. Well, uh, how about how about writing? Um, um, I didn't do any writing in college. I went to film school for college. Oh, sweet. Um, nice. And I didn't even do any screenwriting, really. It was mostly sound design. Uh, so it was mostly uh, post-production work. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean, when, what I started writing in 2008, um, so I, I was reading Why and I was reading a bunch of other things and uh, the Wall Street crash happened. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, I still Wonderful had a job. Period. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. And I was living in the West Village in New York City and I, I distinctly remember I had no money. I was maxed out on a credit card and I had about six days before my next paycheck. So I was like, I can't go out. I have a bag of cashews that I have to subsist on for like most of that time. So I just stayed in and just sort of fasted and just wrote. And I was, I was writing what I thought at the time was the most amazing zombie comic. And uh, that was enough for me to reach out to some people at my college. Uh, I went to this Atlanta College of Art and Design. And through my, one of my brothers, different brother, uh, he knew somebody in the sequential art department and she read what I had written and thought it was good enough to send it to the chair of this sequential art department. And he invited me back for this thing called Editor's Aid where they invite like five or six comic book editors to re review portfolios. And one of the editors was an editor from Vertigo. So he invited me to go, I went and was able to receive a lot of notes from her. And that kind of set me on the path that I'm on now. Wait, nice. I, ha I have to interrupt really quick. You mean your first attempt at comic book writing got you a, an appointment to have your portfolio reviewed by comic book editors? That's I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> like, I, was awesome. the, I, was the, I was the only person that showed up that didn't have any art. I just had scripts. So it was a little weird. And the editor, um, this woman, Joan Hilty, oh, was yeah. like, she's like, oh, I, this is, you're the first appointment I've had that doesn't have any art. I said, well, you know, I came all the way from, from Brooklyn and she's like, oh, I live in New York. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. And uh, yeah, she, she gave me the best notes. And it was because of those notes that I just, you know, kept working at it and I was going to conventions. And I started going to conventions as press because I was writing reviews for a friend's entertainment website based in LA. So I was getting full access to these creators and I eventually just sh shed the press badge and I just became friends with them. And, and that's how I kind of got in. I mean, oh, nice. that's a testament to your talent. That's a testament to your perseverance. I mean, that's, I'm getting literal chills for you. <laughs> like, I, Ability not, to subsist on cashews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is quite, I mean, this is cool. This is an amazing, you know, backstory of yours. That's really cool. Very yeah, cool. It's, I'm like proud of you. And yeah. <laughs> like super, Aww. like this is cool. <laughs> At least cashews, I think, have protein because <laughs> I tried it once with pumpkin seed and I and I passed out like in three hours. <laughs> New York is, is a cool place. So, How long have you lived there? On and off, uh, 
six years now. I just cool. moved back the third for the third time about six weeks ago. Oh, oh wow. Awesome. Yeah. Very nice. So speaking of brothers, um, I did see that that you are an identical triplet. And yeah. that in and so how being an identical triplet and also uh, I believe you were also adopted, um, inspire the stories that you tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, identity is definitely a theme in all my stories. I think the only one I've never really explored regarding identity is my book, Skip to the End. But I think there's just a lot of different facets to explore with identity. And it's, uh, I think we can all, it, it's a relatable topic. Um, you don't have to be a POC to, to wrestle with your identity and identity is a spectrum. And, and so it's just been a, a, a well that I constantly draw from for my narratives. Very nice. That's awesome. And definitely see the, the identity um, theme in, in uh, Made in Korea. And um, actually, I do have a, a very um, rec- question recently about the recent issues of Made in Korea, which is still coming out as of now. I think we're up to issue four, uh, just mm-hmm. came out last Wednesday. And um, so there's there was a very unexpected uh, dark turn in, in Made in Korea, and um, where, you know, where Jesse is actually involved um, in a school shooting. Uh, was that the original plan of how the book was going to go or, or uh, was that something that kind of arose while you were writing the story itself? Great question. It was always a plan. In fact, the first iteration of the story, it was all about the school shooting and the story ends with, with basically issue four. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it wasn't a complete story. And the reason I decided to include it was because um, I think gun control and I think mass shootings in this country is a big problem. I think it's something we don't discuss. I think it's something that we relegate to thoughts and prayers. And my day job, I do tech support. And I was working at a middle school in Vermont. I moved from Vermont uh, six weeks ago. And I was in this quiet liberal town, Middlebury, Vermont. And three years ago, uh, there were two eighth graders that were gonna come in and shoot everybody. And the only reason it was thwarted was because The students were talking about it on Fortnite on a Thursday night. Their classmates saw the exchange, got very scared, mentioned it to teachers. Teachers took it very seriously on Friday. By Saturday morning, the whole thing was neutralized. The government had gotten involved, the police got involved. And these kids had a a kill list. They were gonna come in on Monday and just start shooting everybody. And this is like a quiet town in in Middlebury, Vermont. And so it was really hard for me to bear witness to these meetings where these teachers are having emotional breakdowns talking about it. And it was difficult for me every year to go through active shooter training where we have to put ourselves in the position of mm-hmm. protecting ourselves against an active shooter. And it's like, this is not the norm. This should not be the norm. Mm-hmm. And Made in Korea was this opportunity to explore my feelings about it and to essentially live vicariously through the protagonist, Jesse, to just get to see someone do something that we've never seen done before. Yeah, I, I love that. Go, like, busting through the walls and 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 just taking care of business essentially that was pretty cool i really liked the neighbors especially with uh, the oh we're you know have guns anyway uh, i'm in texas uh, mm-hmm. and i really connected very well to those people because i know those people uh, i live near those people <laughs> so i i thought it was a very good uh, very apt um depiction of a lot of people that I know, even though, you know, we may not have robot children necessarily quite yet. Um, I, yeah, I, I thought it was very harrowing. Um, and, oh man, those neighbors really got me. 
Yeah. Well, that, that's really interesting that you say that because, you know, I, I spent the last two years of high school in Texas and, you know, living in Vermont, um, there are a lot of people I know, a lot of friends of mine that own guns, but the difference between Vermont and, and Texas is Texans wear it as like a, a part of their identity. Very much and so. I wanted to set it in a version of the U.S. where guns are under lock and key and the government literally has come for your guns. Uh, and I, it, you know, sets the stage for what happens in issue four. Um, and I was, it's curious for me to see how many people were picking up on that because I don't think anybody was with the neighbors. Uh, so they were totally shocked by where issue three and four go. See, I, I wasn't. I, I that that's why I was surprised what Brian was saying that it took a turn because for me it it I saw where it was going the whole time obviously it was going towards a school shooting um so yeah I, I don't know um every time I go to Walmart people have guns tucked in the back of their pants so it's mm -hmm. kind of it's just not surprising to me yeah it's enough time being reactive instead of proactive when it comes to stuff like that yeah and Okay. And you'll have to forgive me. I have not read Made in Korea. I work in education and I go through active uh, shooter training all the time. And I have been for the last five, six years. And every time I do it, I'm numb. So when too much, gave, too much. Um, <laughs> when they teach you how to block a door with a, yeah. a, a coat pole, which no one has in real life. That or a belt. belt or yep, a belt as belt. a weapon. And there's literal children fighting with you in these videos. Um, I go numb every week. So Brian gave me yeah. the heads up and I'm like, it sounds lovely. I will not be reading it. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I gave her the synopsis. Yeah, I was, yeah. it sounds phenomenal. Yeah. You know, I'll get there one day, but. Yeah. That's totally fair. <laughs> well, with, uh, with Made in Korea and also uh, virtual years, there is a strong commentary on society's interaction with technology. Um, do you feel like the path that we're on is a, is a dark one or do you think there's a possibility of another outcome? Uh, I think that it's it's on a point of no return. I think that uh, the Google search engine is a really good example of this, where the idea of tailoring your search in theory sounds like a good idea, but it's caused so many problems where based on algorithms, what the four of us are searching and what the first query result will be are wildly different, even if we're like literally in the same city, living on the same street. So basically the reflection of our searches to us is the world we see. Yeah, and that, that is why there's such a disconnect, I think, politically and with like misinformation and you know, anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers, all that stuff. Um, so I, and I think Google has recognized that and there's no way for them to put the genie back in the bottle. So I think that you know, we're, they're learning on the fly, which is a complex issue. Um, AI is a complex issue. So I, I think that, I don't know. Technology has been advancing at a pace that's faster than the way humans are supposed to be evolving. So I want to be hopeful that the technology is going to serve us positively, but I, I think that we're just constantly looking for the next great thing that we're not thinking about the big picture. So um, it'll be interesting to see where, where AI specifically, where it ends up in like 50 years. Oh, absolutely. It's almost like the technology is evolving, but humans are not. And so we're not yeah. getting used to to how to use and be part of a of a techn technological society, essentially. That is definitely yeah, we're not adjusting to what we have before mm -hmm. we move on to the next thing. Exactly. Yeah, and then, ergo we get Twitter essentially <laughs> from, from that. Um, well 
you have written everything from horror to romance to science fiction. Uh, do you have a preferred genre that that uh, to write in? And do you have any genres in the future that you want to write? Um, none specifically. Um, I like to challenge myself. I, I think the only one I probably wouldn't write is a Western oh. uh, <laughs> because I just have no interest. Uh, <laughs> But I, figure, I think I could figure it's out Brian's favorite. Western. It's Brian's favorite. <laughs> I, I do like a good Western, but oh, I actually, sorry. I like, no, but the thing is, is I like Westerns that are subvertive. Like, they're not like your traditional Westerns. Yeah, you know? yeah. It was like I mean, Cowboy me, Dog Girl. Yeah, like Cowboy Dog Girl was a, was a book I, I read recently from the I mean, person. Yeah. For, for me, it, it's, it's a matter of, I, I'm no longer going to write white cis male protagonist i just can't and i did it for almost 10 years and it i i know why i did it uh this is just my own explanation of my own identity being raised uh as an adoptee with within a predominantly white family with predominantly white relatives um i used to joke that i was not asian i was white and it always got a laugh and i reflect back on that and it's super problematic it's internalized racism it's not leaning into my own an aspect of my identity that's very important to me now. So moving forward, it's really just open doors narratively of what I can explore and, and just honestly infusing color, infusing, you know, my, you know, identity as a non-binary person, as an adoptee, as, as, you know, the diaspora of being Asian, these things are important. And I think that it's about representation moving forward for me anyway, so. Nice, yes, definitely. It's always just nice to see you know, cultures and, and everyone just kind of in comics and, and in stories. And it's just sad that we have, it, this is kind of a, a new thing that's going on. You know, we always have a conversation on our show about like identity, what that means to us, um, you know. And so I, as a woman of color, I really appreciate that because I think I can relate to some of the feelings that you have more so than, you know, not so i appreciate that thank you for sharing of course and so um no you recently actually have a story that just came out last uh last week um in the marvel voices identity issue uh mm -hmm. how, how how was that to, to write it and what was your inspiration on the story that you wrote it was a bit surreal because my editor darren shan reached out to me at the end of june and i was in the, the midst of packing up my apartment and moving to brooklyn mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I, I read, you know, the first couple of issues of Made in Korea, you know, I, I love your work. And uh, to be completely honest, the writer that was supposed to be writing this story for this anthology dropped the ball and, and we need somebody. And, and I really would like to offer this opportunity. I said, that sounds great. He said, you know, I need a script in five days. It's like, oh, oh okay. So uh, I was like, who are the characters that I can kind of write for? And they're like, he's like, who do you want to write? And I mentioned all these characters, like, oh, they're all taken. And I'm like, okay, uh, what about a biracial character? So he had to go digging and he found Silhouette, who's a member of the New Warriors and mm. a comic, a character I'd never heard of. And he, he said, you know, she's biracial, half black, half Cambodian, she's disabled. I was like, great, awesome. So then he sent me all the back issues and I read them and oh my God, is that a problematic storyline? Mm -hmm. um, I, I do remember that. Too. I mean, like yeah. beyond the yellow peril narrative that's part of her, her backstory, oh, wow. the fact yeah. that her superpowers have her, she can teleport through shadows, which sounds really cool, but her clothes don't go with her. 
Yeah, what? it could be cool, but be cool, the time period like, it was in, yeah. But at the but, same time, it's like no one questions why the Hulk's pants stay on when he hulks out. Exactly. But a beautiful woman teleporting? Uh, why would it, why would her clothes go with her? That makes no that makes perfect sense. No one and gave so, her unstable molecules. <laughs> <laughs> so I I um just saw this opportunity to kind of tell a story in the sense of, you know, she's just the first one of the first superheroes I'd come across that doesn't have a civilian name. And as an identity, that was very confusing to me because considering she's only been in about 10 or 12 issues in the totality of Marvel's history, she's not really talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. So she's based on that, I was like, well, she's not really fighting that much crime if she's not really featured in these stories. So what is the rest of her life like? What is her dating life like? So I pitched a dating story um, in New York City because you know the New Orders are based in, in NYC. And, and my editor was like, I'm so glad you pitched this dating story because I was hoping someone would know nobody did. And, and it was the only thing I pitched. He wanted three pitches. I said, this is all I got. If you don't want it, I'm not going to do it. Um, and fortunately, he went for it. And it was a pretty smooth process. I, I scripted the thing in about a day, had two rounds of notes, and it was done. And the the character not having a civilian name, unfortunately, is a, a very common thing I've noticed lately. Like, um, like the, recently, um, Trinary, uh, who's a, um, a, a mutant from India, um, has been around for about three years now, and still everyone just knows them by their, their name, like their code name, and no one knows what their real name is. So yeah, that's, it's... That's... That doesn't make sense to me. And, and there's, there's a, a couple of like really older, you know, they they did, you know, people say, oh, there's no this whole, you know, just throwing random uh, minority characters out there. They've never done that before. They used to a lot. You know, they would make just, oh, we're just going to throw a minority character out there. But that's all they did. They threw them out there with a code name and never put any backstory at all so there actually are quite a few but they just got a code name no backstory no anything so that they yeah. exist but you don't know who they yeah. are or I mean, what they are for, for for me with silhouette if i ever get the opportunity to write more about her as the character who's who's um paraplegic to walk around with crutches makes no sense and i have a, a friend who's quadriplegic and I sent her photos of this character and she was like, I said, how do you feel about the representation? She's like, it's really bad. Like someone who's paraplegic would not be using crutches for yeah. they'd be in a wheelchair. And also when she's fighting crime, she's also has her crutches. So it's this visual cue, which to me as a crime fighter is even weirder because not only do you stand out as a biracial person in society, but you also have crutches, which is very distinct. And I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense. And it's terrible representation. So. If I ever got the chance, I would love to update that. And for me, writing this dating story was this opportunity to explore the fact that when she's fighting crime, her ethnicity and her handicap has nothing to do with her fighting crime. But in the real world, it's all anybody would focus on on a first date. Yeah, exactly. And like she would be known in within the universe, oh, as the, the disabled hero. It's like, oh, yeah, that yeah. one. And it's like, you know, and that's. So, and that is a huge problem that when it comes to representation is that a lot of, of characters that were created um, back then, you know, even, even even in modern times, they're just basically written as white and male, no matter what they are, you know? Yeah. Even, 
yeah, so it's it's great to just have different voices and different perspectives. Obviously, the person who had them fighting crime on a, on um, crutches never talked to someone who's actually paraplegic or quadriplegic. Yeah, exactly. You know, in, and in, I think there's ways to update it where, you know, her crutches could be part of her suit. And like I've thought about ways to make it make more sense just from an agility standpoint. Mm -hmm, exactly. Um, but yeah, but it like, was it was fun to write and it was it was fun to be included in such a illustrious um roster of artists and writers so like daredevil like the cane is also his ability oh yeah yeah so in like grappling hook like it's it's easy it's Ways comics you can do anything you can do you want to in comics and uh, like daredevil they're important characters i mean if you go to yeah. conventions there's usually a section set up for like disabled fandom um and you know like there's a section for hawkeye and you've got like deaf fans that really enjoy him there's a section for barbara gordon with people who like you know there's like sections for these people they like that representation like you're talking about like identity it's important put a character out there exactly. represent them properly mm -hmm. yeah that's that's awesome you know if anybody you would be awesome i'm all for it but anybody who's writing a character like that should represent them properly yeah it's weird precious so now, do you have any other Marvel or DC character you'd like to, to write for in the future? To be honest, I never really had any aspirations <laughs> to write for Marvel or DC. Um, we get it. <laughs> so, Absolutely. like, doing the anthology was kind of like, wow, this dream came true that I never had. Um, yes. To just be a published Marvel writer, even if it's a five-page short story. Um, to be honest, I, I would I would like to just keep telling my own stories and you know, if I could do a, a limited run on a, on a character for either of the big two, really for me, it's just exposing myself to that readership and then bringing them back to the, the stories and characters that, mm -hmm. that I've created from the ground up. Very cool. Awesome. You know, we have an ongoing running joke on, on this podcast about the uh, the article about Marvel giving $5,000 and, uh, and, and a ticket to a movie okay. for for the creators that are give, making them billions of dollars. Very sad joke. So it's not, yeah. yeah, it's funny, it's sad, not funny. Tongue funny. in cheek slash not really tongue in cheek. Um, but yeah, um, so now, sorry. Um, so uh, with um, with Pulp, uh, which was one of your earlier comics, uh, it has a very dark cinematic feel to it. And you had mentioned that you you were going to film school. Um, like, did, did you draw from any movies, specific movies or TV shows for that comic? No, actually, um, my friend Kurt Pyers uh, did a a twenty four page one shot called LP with Ramon Villalobos years ago and I read it and that was my inspiration to see if I could tell a story in, in a complete story beginning middle and end in 24 pages and so I wrote that I, I didn't even outline that story I just wrote it uh in a I wrote it in like a day uh Chris Peterson the artist drew it in about five days and we we're just like that was fun and then we just self-published it cool that's very cool yeah it was a lot of fun to read too it was it wasn't what i was expecting and it was definitely a, a cool kind of twist at the end definitely well i did notice uh when doing some, some researching for for this interview that uh in in recent photos you're wearing a nirvana shirt as mm -hmm. well as the otis 
Otis writing reference in virtual years. So uh, what other types of music are, are you into? Oh boy, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a revolving door. Um, yes. I am a, a diehard Nirvana fan. Skip to the end is my ode to Nirvana. Um, I think one of my proudest moments as a writer is that uh, the New York Times uh, two years ago, I think it was two years ago, uh, wrote a big expose on the 25th <laughs> anniversary of Cobain's death. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't know about the article. Um, and then a friend of mine in Germany sent me a, po or a message and said, oh, you know, good on you for being written up in the New York Times. I was like, what are you talking about? So I look at this article and this, this writer had listed everything you need to watch, read and listen to to better understand Cobain's legacy. And he only listed two pieces of fiction and mine was one of them. Awesome. So, That's exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, my obsession with the band and, and the DIY punk movement of the 80s and 90s in the Pacific Northwest definitely paid off. Um, music is a huge part of my writing process. I create playlists for characters. I create nice. playlists for certain stories because it gets me in that headspace. Mm -hmm. um, but like right now, I think I'm very obsessed with Phoebe Bridgers. Um, Ross Cam's latest album, Change Phobia, is amazing. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm constantly looking for new music. And But I think my, my all-time favorites are Nirvana, Joy Division, uh, Otis Redding, Thelonious Monk, um, Tom Waits. That's awesome. That sounds, you know, I'm a fan of, of, of all that. And that sounds very similar to, to mine. I have a, a Spotify playlist that's just basically is my version of, of radio. And it's like really the only... I play it on random and it's like, you, you'll hear like the clash. And then after that, it'll be like Aretha Franklin. And then after that, it'll be like Johnny Cash or something, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, same. So that's really cool. Okay. Um, so um, now um, speaking of, of music and I, and I was trying to get virtually in virtually yours, um, did enjoy your, uh, your cameo in virtually yours <laughs> that was really cool I, I love it I love that when yeah. like you, you, yeah. you people are written into the books and um now are are so in that case are all your stories all in the same universe and like some stories are fictional all like Tarantino like so like Southern Dog is like a fictional story and um and that's really that's a really good question uh, I, I wouldn't say that they are but my co-creators for fun have drawn me into scenes of my books, not all of them. Um, but yeah, the, the, the comic book signing at Bergen Street Comics, which is my all time favorite shop in Prospect Heights, Brooklyn, uh, that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Virtually Yours was a, a, a version of Brooklyn that I miss. And it was me living vicariously through that version. And I'd always wanted to do a signing at Bergen Street and it never happened. So I thought, what the hell, this is a good, good opportunity to do that. And, uh, yeah, it's funny when people have read that because in that, that scene, I basically confess to the protagonist that my failed book is now getting optioned into a Netflix series. And some friends reached out to me after reading it, reading it and they were like, is that a low-key flex? That Do you actually have a yeah. Netflix deal? I was like, that would be really awesome, but no, not even close. <laughs> hey, it definitely would deserve a show at least, you know, but... Oh, thanks. Netflix. I think virtually yours would make a great Netflix show. Absolutely. Oh, thanks. Yeah, virtually uh, yours is so good. He's all that as a Netflix show now. 
Oh, really? Yeah, they they rebooted. She is all that. Oh my it's... god! <laughs> yeah. So wait, does the guy have glasses and he takes his glasses off? And he's sexy. He's beautiful. No, he's got like a bad hat and like oh, no. he's got bad. weird hair, <laughs> and he works in a in a horse stable. Um, and uh, I she, need to watch this. She she is dating. She goes and like is live streaming her like showing up to date this. I think he's like he he must be in a reality TV show or something. She shows up to his trailer and he's like having this rendezvous with like one of his co-hosts and she's live streaming it the whole time with her friends. Like she's showing up and taking him balloons or something and she flips out about it and still live streaming. So she's got to get back at him and she does the whole thing where she's turning him into somebody sexy. Mm -hmm. And she of course does it because he's hot, but they are both incredibly milk toast, white bread. Like like, they did, they did not. Exactly. They didn't update it at all. Uh, They are, it is so boring looking but it's at the same time it's like a perfect reboot would be updating it i didn't like make it queer or make it like yeah yeah update races or do something to it but at the same time it's almost a perfect 90s reboot in that they are both incredibly boring (laughs) (laughs) i i I have a soft spot for those movies so i will definitely enjoy that yeah yeah. yeah, is there a, is there a slow motion uh, reveal montage of how beautiful the guy is? I'm sure there the is. Stairs? There has to be. I I didn't watch it. I watched clickbait last night, but I, I'm sure there is. My jaw's been hanging this entire time. I'm like offended on a bunch of different levels. About I, I just saw the trailer last night because I I really I re um I reread virtually yours, and um. Holy crap. Yeah, I lost my shit. It was I'm, crazy. <laughs> I don't know if, if you folks saw that there was going to be um, a reboot on ABC of the Wonder Years, but with an African-American family. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm yes. Really, yeah, I'm just, I'm really hoping that they really delve into the racism of America during the 60s mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I really like the show Blackish when they've tackled really sure. like tough, um, like tough topics. And so that's I'm hoping they take the opportunity because that's definitely an opportunity that's there and it's something that's needed to like really address so I'm hoping they do that I loved the wonder years as a kid yeah the adoration for the windy character uh Mm -hmm. is definitely there it looks right like just like from a surface level but the trailer i saw didn't get into any like socio-political stuff except for it definitely looks segregated because the whole thing i saw was only on a bus and there's no white people on that bus so it definitely looks like they're doing segregation for me like reboots are not interesting to me but if you're going to reboot it and holding space for those stories that never got told Mm -hmm. absolutely because you're bringing in the audience that loves that original series and you're saying how about let's let's examine this right. through that lens and it's like right. that's interesting but to just reboot something for the sake of rebooting it's like like he's all that the, not interesting like I'll, I'll definitely so still watch it but like <laughs> no, not interesting train wreck seasons I'll, just I, hate, I I'll hate watch it I'll just hate yeah, watch yeah, it. yeah exactly, I'm not exactly. I'm not sure I will unless it's like super late at night and I'm I, I work at like midnight to 1 a.m and I might turn it on the background and just like occasionally glance at it because it looks so boring um, <laughs> and I might just have to but um yeah the wonder the wonder years does look kind of interesting 
Let's go. Absolutely. So, in, in uh, bring it to back to comments real quick. Um, <laughs> uh, with virtual yours, uh, I did love how um, you decided to take gender norms and spin them on their head. Uh, how did you feel about writing about domestic violence from Max's POV? Yeah, um, that was pulled from my own life experience. Um, I was in a very abusive marriage for about three years. Um, and it was something that I just had to process for a while. And, you know, it was one of these things that was really hard to navigate because at the time I identified as male and, and just living in, in this quiet, sleepy town and, and being, you know, connected to this college because my ex is, is, a, is a college professor and, and just going through this this kind of like, I don't know, I just kind of watched my life happen and it's, I didn't really make a lot of choices. I was just kind of doing whatever the person wanted to do. and. Um, it was just a really toxic relationship. And when I was writing it, I sent it to one of my editors who had edited three of my books through Inside Comics. So he had edited um, Skinned, Skip to the End, and my Houdini books. And he read virtually yours, an early draft of it. And he said, you know, you write these compelling ideas and characters, but you don't, um, you're too precious with them. He said, you've, you've got to let them fall. They've, they've got to get fucked up, like they do. And then they got to pick themselves up or at least try. So I was like, okay. And then I thought about the character of Max, who's kind of like this, you know, POC version of Macaulay Culkin, who was mm -hmm. in this once famous movie and now he's living off residuals. He doesn't have really any family except his found family with friends. And he's in this marriage. And I thought that you don't see that in a rom-com. And I, and I think that I wanted to explore everything outside of the, the honeymoon phase of a relationship. I want to expose and explore the things that we all kind of lived through, like the, the, the fallout of a relationship, just focusing on your career, not living by the standards of society and having to go against that grain or that current. And it just made sense to include it. Um, and so it was great because, you know, when I was doing press for it last summer, on these podcasts, a lot of the male hosts that I was interviewed by asked me to stay on after the thing had recorded. And they said, you know, I, I went through something similar and it was, it's really great to not feel alone in that. Nice. And it was like, you know, that, that was worth it for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely not something that's talked about and it's something that definitely happens. It's uh, when I was reading virtually yours, which I devoured like instantaneously, it was so good to me. Um, what Max is going through is palpable um, because you can insert yourself into various situations that he's going through and you feel for him. And with the reason I, I loved Max's character so much was because there's the pride there's the vulnerability, there's the loneliness. And I was so, you know, I know this sounds weird, so I apologize, but it was so nice to see, especially if you've been a victim of domestic violence or if you've had any kind of like assault in your life, whether it be sexual or physical, those are all feelings that we go through. So seeing, um, quote unquote, man go through, like a male character go through this as, a, as someone who identifies as, you know, female, it was really nice to see it through that lens. Cause I'm like, these feelings are just human feelings. Yeah. And 
men can go through this too. And it's almost in a lot of ways. And I do think this, it's harder for them to go through this because they're all these, there's all this bullshit, like societal expectations that men or, you know, can't feel can't those feelings. Yeah. yeah. You know? exactly. And so it was just, it was so nice to see. And in a, in a weird way. And it was just like, oh, you know, I just, I really, I just, I really loved that part of the storyline, even though it was, it's very tragic. And I'm so sorry that you went through something like that. But I, I think as someone, whatever we create, right, whatever, whatever we're doing, we pull from these kind of like shitty low places in our lives for, you know, not inspiration, but we do draw on the feelings from them. So I, you know, I just really, I liked it. So thank you for sharing that. It was very, it was very nice. I know that I don't, I don't like the word because I don't feel like, I'm so no, glad I, I totally, used, but you know, like it was just, yeah. it was cool to see it in that lens. And thank you for, you know, putting stuff out there like that, that could, you know, it's very vulnerable. Yeah. And so that, that it can kind of help everyone else. I, yeah, I just, I, I wish it was something that we could, that we should and we need yeah. to talk about it more as a society like I think everyone yeah, I, suffer from abuse and we need to talk about it and abuse and it, like everything else exists on a spectrum and, and for me at this point in my life I just want to live authentically and, and for me thinking about what to write about when I feel when when I think of a concept and then I pull from my own life experience and I feel uncomfortable about it I know I've struggled. I know that I, I have to explore it because quite simply representation matters and providing that representation so people can feel seen no matter how hard it is. Um, I get to have the luxury of weaving it into a piece of fiction, but at the same time, I get so much out of it because I get to really exercise, you know, the, the really difficult things that I just kind of lived with and lived through. And it's kind of, it's not kind of, it's quite cathartic to be able to you know, explore it and then also get to see a version of myself address it and 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 heal from it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the healing part is kind of what I like the best. Like I, I really like that uh he's surrounded by people who support and believe him. Yes. Uh, like his best friend is there and he support and supports and believes him and protects him. Um, and I, th- I think that's really important. Like there's a lot of places in comics that like to torture their characters. Like mm-hmm. conflict is torture for characters and that's mm-hmm. fun. Uh, like a really conflict famous character that's gone through abuse is Dick Grayson and he's just like not believed for his torture. And that's not cathartic, you know, no. like going through that. Like, I don't know who decided to write that and not give catharsis for it Uh, but that's not helpful and I think this is very helpful if you give someone who has this and goes through this and then is believed for that that is helpful and I like you know Carrie was saying that that helps people move forward that's good for people yeah, and I'm so glad you picked up on that because I, I think the Patrick character, who's actually modeled after a very good friend of, friend of mine, physically and just personality-wise, oh. uh, my friend Patrick Felix is just awesome, and and uh, 
he's a huge comic book reader as well. So like he got a kick out of it when I said, Hey, do you want to run Bergen Street Comics? He's like, Absolutely. yeah. Um, so like, I wanted to, sh to illustrate the fact that, you know, straight men can possess emotional intelligence. And I think Absolutely. it's important. And I, I wanted to show what that looks like for people who maybe haven't experienced it or seen it. Yeah, he, he was a great character. I really yeah. liked him. I yeah. loved the best friend. I want to adopt the best friend. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, we all need someone like Patrick in our lives yes. because he's amazing, amazing person. Absolutely. Um, I have a question. Uh, so yeah. because I loved Virtually Yours so much, uh, was the ambiguity, ugh, I can't ever say this word, forgive me. Was the ambiguity at the end um, intentional? Uh, yeah, because I didn't want them to fall in love because it's not about that. I, I just wanted to show, you know, the, the evolution of a friendship and like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of adhered to the, the rom-com trope of meeting on false, meeting within false pretenses and like when that lie gets exposed, how do the characters react? But it wasn't this happily ever after because, you know, relationships are complicated. I yeah. think that it was always about friendship. Mm -hmm. And it's always, how do you establish friendship? And their friendship is a bit unusual because they've met through two different ways. But um, yeah, it was always kind of, I wanted to leave it up to the reader to kind of guess what, what might happen. Yeah, I loved the fact that it was ambiguous at the yeah. end. Like it really made me happy that there wasn't that, you know, like normie, oh, look, they're, they, now they, they realize and now they're in love. So it was really cool that it was just kind of like, yeah, they're friends. That's awesome. Yeah, it wasn't the, the like, oh, they're falling in love. Something happened, the reveal happens and then they hate each other. Then they love each other, you know, <laughs> and everything's okay at the end. You know, it's a little more realistic that way. It's really cool. Well, um, do you think it. there, do you think there is a moral obligation that society has when dealing with uh, virtual life? nowadays what do you mean exactly like uh, oh uh, so this was a question that i had um that i had asked um so with virtually yours there's again there's an ambiguous kind of like what they're you like with the employer using um of a story you know, her writing to address the, you know, the phony dating thing that she's using, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very slippery slope of how we're using technology and why are we using it and what everyone, like, you know, you kind of addressed this earlier, like everyone is using Google for a different reason, but I just felt like, I don't know how to explain it well, so I apologize if it's not that great of a question, but, um, you know, like when we're dealing with our virtual selves, do we have a moral obligation to each other to be more forthright? Because we can be anybody behind a keyboard. And I think, uh, yeah. and we're, that's part of the problem. Like I, I mean, on Facebook, I have like 15 friends. I have like 16 followers on Instagram. I'm very, very wary of people on the internet and I get very <laughs> scared of it. So it's one of these things where I'm like, oh God, you can be anyone. And that's freeing for some, but for someone like me, it's terrifying. So as yeah. humans that we have to live with one another and like deal with each other and, you know, try not to have 
like a post-apocalyptic society, do we owe it to each other to have like a sense of like moral obligation? Um, I think so, but I think that it does require some emotional intelligence and some honesty, communication. Um, For me, just having gone through years of therapy and just unpacking my own trauma and unpacking my own PTSD, unpacking all of it, I decided to just live more authentically, not only for myself, but people I'm interacting with. So specifically with online dating, um, <clears throat> I, I decided that it, it's just better to be honest. And I can't live with the anxiety of trying to date multiple people. Like it's just not <laughs> how I operate. So yeah. um, if I'm going on a couple dates with a handful of people and one person in particular I connect with, I have no qualms with just saying to the other people, hey, I had a great time. I've met someone that I'm really interested in. I'd like to see where that goes. Um, you know, I wish you the best of luck. And every response I get is, thank you for being honest. Yeah. And it's, it's lets me off the hook because I'm not ghosting anybody. I'm not leading yeah. anyone on. What's unfortunate for, like I was having this conversation with my girlfriend recently and, and she tried that recently because she actually told me she said that to somebody after she had met me. And he said, uh, you, you could have just ghosted me or, you know, really there's somebody else sure like got very defensive no like all ego no like and this is the complaint I have I get from my female friends who who date who are straight and date straight guys and a lot of them just lack emotional intelligence and it's problem absolutely bro culture (laughs) um so well um I I I actually we, we got through everything here um I actually do have kind of a fun question um since we are kind of going through you know obviously we're going through quarantining and and this whole COVID thing the last year and a half almost two years you know almost feels like 10 but um so what, what has uh, been your craziest quarantine purchase Ooh, that's a good question uh I recently bought a rowing machine Ooh. oh that's a good yeah. one that's that actually is, good. yeah uh i i that's my preferred method of working out and i had this really crappy rowing machine that i had bought off craigslist like six or seven years ago and i just kind of made do with it and then i ended up just giving it to a friend when i left vermont and then uh i was thinking of joining a gym there was one right next to my apartment but i was like i don't know how long those are going to stay open i don't really feel comfortable going to a gym and so i just was like I'm just going to, you know, treat myself and get a rowing machine. And it's been great. That's awesome. Very cool. That's a yeah. nice, healthy, yes. sane purchase. <laughs> not crazy yeah, at all. It's not like every... I bought an RV. Yeah. <laughs> I bought That's every... impressive. Yeah. I, well, and mine, I think is the worst because I bought every um, fire emblem um, amiibo that was available. <laughs> Which have no purpose at all. <laughs> so, so every, you guys are, are using things that you bought. That's great. I have something that's kept collecting dust on my my shelf. I bought a used car because we we were a one car person. So I bought a used car, which is like mine, which is awesome. But I just found out recently that it's on the uptick of car thefts in our town because the it's exact year, the exact everything. year make and model of my car because they're selling oh, no. them for parts. So now yeah, cars are important right now. <laughs> now I'm frightened that someone's going to steal my car. I was no, looking I mean, up security home systems last night. <laughs> that's why I'm glad I moved back to 
to New York because I, I sold my car to a friend of mine and I was just like, I don't have to worry about that. Anymore. Yeah, Thanks. exactly. Cool. Well, Jeremy, it was absolutely lovely meeting you and getting to interview you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah thank you. It's a pleasure. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> thank you uh, for listening to the interview. Uh, very much appreciate that Jeremy uh, had decided to uh, interview with us and they talk were lovely. to us. Absolutely. They were awesome. So, so happy. Thank you again. Please check out their stuff. Um, I'm, you know, the uh, some of the some of the things that we talked about on the on the uh, interview are in a different document. <laughs> Um, Virtually yours, made in Korea. Yes, thank you. Made in Korea, numbers one through four by Jeremy Holt, uh, George Shaw, and Adam Wallet, and virtually yours uh, by Jeremy uh, Elizabeth Beals and Adam Wallet again. And um, we did mention Pulp by Jeremy Holt and yes. uh, Christopher Peterson. So um, all of that's available on Comicsology. So uh, support your digital um, person, even though it's Amazon today <laughs> don't be a baby read made in korea i'm actually going to read the first couple of issues to see if i can do the last two yes yeah um it's 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 not as i mean it's rough but it's not as rough as um it could be yeah oh, it's, okay that's it's, actually good to know yeah no it's it's um it, it's well done i think um if, if you if you for a comic that features a school shooting i think anybody who has lived in america for the last however many years it's handleable oh, okay, um, cool. it's 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 not comfortable because how no. could it be um but it's it's not graphic it's not gratuitous um it's definitely handleable yeah, it, it's it's well well done. It's it's well well paced, well well presented. And yeah. it's it, awesome. it's definitely as Darcy said, it's uncomfortable, but it needs to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. But yeah, at the same time, it's it's not it's not violent porn, violence porn. No, no. yeah, no. I, I think I think if you're outside of the US, um, if if you're not from a culture that has grown up with this, um yeah it might be a little bit more, um, more shocking. I know I've watched, um, uh, I watch stupid reaction videos on YouTube all the time. I don't know why I do that and watch people watch things. It's really it's dumb. Wreck, it's fun. It, it's kind of is, but <laughs> I've watched, uh, there's this thing where they've got like, uh, people in Korea who watch PSAs from the U S, uh, and mm -hmm. a lot of the ones they watch are, um, school shooter videos a school shooter psas and yeah. it is like super shocking to them and they are still kind of like really emotional for me um how could they not be um but just really shocking for them because there are yeah. things in there that just never would show up on korean television mm -hmm. um which makes perfect sense because it's just not something that goes on uh, in Korea. Um, so I think if you live outside of the U.S., outside of an area where school shootings just aren't a thing that happens, um, it might be more shocking. It might be more kind of devastating. Um, but like 
that division that came up that we talked about in the interview between kind of me and Brian um, and how we reacted and how we read the story. Uh, it was less shocking and less surprising to me, probably because of the culture I grew up in in Texas. Like I go to sleep to the sound of gunfire, literally, like I'm not joking. Uh, my neighbor shoots every night. Uh, my neighbor shoots every morning. Uh, like I literally go to sleep and wake Are up to, uh, to gunfire. It's, it's not like, it's just a yeah. thing. Like when I moved back, I would literally text my mom constantly. What is he shooting at? What is going on? Um, mm -hmm. And my mom's like, you know, I don't know. Dogs, maybe coyotes. I don't know. Uh, I've been home for a year now and I'm just kind of used to it. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's not something that bothers me now. I, I yeah. saw it coming. It's outside the country. You might not. Yeah, it's it's, it's a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. That everyone needs to have. And it is kind of sad that it's not as scary or not as like shocking to someone in America. Mm. You know, it I, shouldn't be that way. It should be. It should be shocking to everybody. I think what added to like the gravitas for me is when Jeremy shared their story yeah. about yes. being in education Absolutely. Yes. and about the potential school shooting that was like stopped. Yes. And as I've worked in, with, I've worked everywhere from elementary to colleges. And I will say that when you work, <laughs> when you work at any type of educational institution now in the U.S., you sign an affidavit saying that you solemnly here do thereby swear to literally become a human shield. Yeah. Mm. And I have had moral issues with that. Um, I've had to come to the terms that if I'm with my students, and there's a school shooting, I will most likely die for them. Yeah. Um, because I work with uh, special needs students and I've, of all ages. And so that is not something that I easily deal with. So that's why when, and that's why Bride gave me that warning. And but right. I, I would, I would like to read, I would like to read it because I, I do want to support Jeremy and all of their work, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is perfectly understandable. And it is, it is weird. I know when I was, when I was teaching in Thailand during the coup that happened over there, oh, um, right. right before yeah. uh, we had, um, giant protests of anti-government people come on campus um and like every day they would come on campus and kind of like attack the campus with oh, like sound things like various different sound loud sound things and some of them kind of sounded like guns and i would have like this visceral reaction to it Mm -hmm. everybody else would just kind of ignore it uh, because wow. everybody else is kind of like from Thailand or from England or from uh, New Zealand or from Australia or from, and I'm sitting here as uh, it, I have, we had somebody from Italy. We had a couple of people from the Philippines and I'm the only person sitting here from America in a school freaking out. Um, and it, it was a thing. Like I have never had to go through a school shooting myself but you know, we're of an age, we grew up 
Columbine yep. and post-Columbine, right? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm the exact age as the Columbine shooters. And so, yeah. 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 It's sad. Yeah. And it, it, and and it was that and and 9/11 that just really changed how even like school and everything was and yeah. dramatically. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like almost Columbine changed it more than 9/11. I think Columbine changed it schools, for the microcosm definitely. of schools. And yeah. yeah. That's right. That's what I mean. And yeah. when it comes to school, yeah. The clear yeah. backpacks, the no lockers, the mm-hmm. oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Anybody who wore black got pulled into the principal's office. Bomb threats every week. Mm -hmm. I remember there was a there was a few bomb threats at my high school because I was a sophomore or freshman when Columbine happened, and uh, I think was a freshman. And we all huddled in my world civ class, Mm. and it was you know I mean we can talk on and on, but I mean like it's uh. Read Made in Korea. Yeah, <laughs> like just, just yeah. read it. It's it's important, and, and even with the, the the technological like side of it as well, and like and the ethics of of creating intelligence and artificial intelligence. Read Made in Korea, and then to yes cleanse the palate that you will need the palate cleanser. Read virtually yours. Mm-hmm. That is so good. Everything Jeremy does is so good. And yeah. I'm so excited for them and everything that's going to come up in their future because I mean, I like almost peed my pants when they said, Oh, in 2008, I wrote a comic and then I got to go do this thing. And I'm like, That just speaks to the insane talent, the just the, you know, luck and talent and all of these things and just many blessings to them. That's that's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I would agree. Um, maybe read Maiden Korea first, even though it's not completely done. You've still got to wait a little bit because it's not over. But it definitely has um, some heavier themes. You've got the uh, digital AI potentially taking over, you know, and being, you know, all the digital AI things that we're worried about, the issues with uh, foreign adoption and that being kind of, um, you know, the, the, the issues with, you know, white parents just kind of like taking children from wherever just because they feel like it um, from middle America being like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to take a child from wherever. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, that whole weird thing. Um, and uh, the school shooting um that whole thing so there's a lot of thematic elements in uh, made in korea that can be very uncomfortable uh, but that are obviously very important to talk about and think about and are very interesting um but uh if you don't want to finish your day on that uh virtually yours is a wonderful fabulous um modernization of the uh, rom-com a lot of us grew up on but we now realize are horribly problematic (laughs) (laughs) the meat cute all that bullshit yeah the the 10 was it 10 days to lose a guy or whatever the awful awful rom-coms we grew up on this is the significantly better version of that (laughs) absolutely yep no, it absolutely is. Yeah, or none of the uh, the the transformation stories that you 
you get in those in those as well those rom coms. Yeah. yeah. You mean yeah. we're not all Rachel Lee Cook? No. I mean, no shade to her. She, you know, but I mean, at the same time, she's like, she's apparently in. He is all that. No. Yes, but she doesn't play the same character. She doesn't play which the makes same me character. Sad. It does it, make me sad too. Yeah. She should have. <laughs> Exactly, because it should like, have been Lainey Boggs. Okay, okay, I'm, 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 I am kind of stealing this from from another podcast, um, but they, but they made a good point that it'd be great to have her go to her son, who's getting, who's the the the, the nerdy kid getting remade. Uh-huh. Like, oh, you're getting, she's all that. <laughs> you know, like, she's all thatted. Yeah, exactly. It'd be great to have her say that. I've you know? been there. I've yeah, done exactly, that. Exactly. It wasn't a good thing. Exactly. So. I thought I loved him, but he was an asshole. <laughs> yeah. It's like he's not your father, and there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Well, thank you again, Jeremy, for, for joining us. Um, if you're listening, and uh, please, yeah, everyone else, check out uh, their books. Very, very much appreciated. And uh, you will all enjoy them, I guarantee. We have now officially reached the end of the show. So thank you to everyone listening to our show and email us any questions or comments to comics deserve better at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter is are both CDB pod. The website uh, comics is better.wordpress.com is where you can request subjects for a future show. And as of this weekend, I'm working on it. Um, you can see a list of every one of our ish, of our episodes and all the books that we discuss in each of those episodes. So it's an easy place to say like, oh, I wonder if comics are better if we talked about this book and then press control F, look for that, look for that book and you might find it and uh, check out the episode. So it's a, it's a hopefully it'll be a good tool to use. Um, Absolutely. I'll, also, um, don't forget to follow, rate, and tell a friend about the podcast. And Darcy, where can we find you? I am at books underscore serial on Twitter and booksandserial.wordpress.com. Um, I'm right now just kind of ranting about um, people being assholes about comics on my Twitter. Uh, <laughs> but I'm hoping to get on and do something about the Rocketeer since they're rebooting the Rocketeer. Ooh, so I'm, I'm planning on doing some Rocketeer stuff soon. Awesome. Very underrated. It really yeah. is. The Rocketeer's it, fucking awesome. Yeah, it is. One of the best designs ever, too. It really fucking is. Like a really yeah. classic look, very streamlined, great fucking helmet. Uh, jacket's just incredibly on point. Uh, sexy as all hell, that costume. It's it's like, it's Art Deco personified. That's like the Art Deco costume. Like, yeah. there's no question about it. So, um, all right, and Carrie, where can, no, you don't want to talk about your Instagram? Okay, no, well, I'm okay it, it, it'll be available on, um, on commentsisorbetter.wordpress.com if you're interested as well. So, well, um, I'm Bryogen2814 on Twitter and Bryogen underscore CB on Instagram. And for Darcy and Carrie, I'm Bryogen, or Brian, <laughs> I'm Brian also. <laughs> and this has been the Comics Deserve Better podcast. So remember, comics deserve better and everyone deserves comics. Good evening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Oh my God, I'm going to cut this all out. So, <laughs> 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 okay, let's try it again. <laughs>